Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 403, Board Game Academics. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Hello, friends. We're back. Hopefully you're enjoying your holiday season out there shopping or hitting the gym or just kicking back and enjoying a well-deserved break hopefully in front of a bunch of cardboard bits and bobbles at the table. We have a great episode for you, a new episode for you, talking about something that we've hinted about for a long time, and we're very excited to actually let it out of the bag and let you all know about this brand new amazing thing that we're doing at Board Gamers Anonymous that I think will shock, surprise, and bring so much to the board gaming industry. Right, Anthony? Yeah, yeah, it's something different. It's something new. Um, but it's also something personal and close to both of us that mm-hmm. I think we have a lot to say about and a lot of other people will be joining us and are also very excited about it. So, uh, this, it's just a new way of looking at thinking about board games and it's, it's exciting. Yeah. And if you've stuck with us for any length of time, <laughs> let's say nine plus years or so, you probably already know our perspective on board gaming how much it means to us, how much it connects us with others, and how much value it has, not just for the board gaming industry, but for society in general. It does so much good out there in the world. So as we always do when we talk about board gaming, we're not just talking about the pieces, the prices, the playthroughs, but we're talking about board gaming and its popularity in a lot of other venues out there in the world and what good it can bring. So There's a little bit more of a hint for you, but we'll get into more (laughs) of this kind of big announcement when we get to our feature review. But before we get into that, Anthony, there's so much other stuff to talk about. Why don't you bring us a date on BGA and our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, real quick, before we dive into like question of the week and all that good stuff, um, we have posted, if you listen to episode 400, you know that we have... um, our top 100 games of all time has been released for this year. And we did not include the full top 100 on that episode because it would have been like eight hours long. So <laughs> that's, that's mainly because of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what we did is we did our top 50 each. There's two of us. We each did top 50. There's a hundred games on that episode. Right. Um, and so the result is, I think it's a two and a half hour podcast. You can listen to episode 400 that has, 100 games on it. And then we posted the rest of our top 100s on Patreon. So any level of listener at the $2 level and up can listen to those episodes. Um, 100 to 51. So there's two separate ones, one for me and one for Chris. And that's another like two and a half hours of listening on top of episode 400. So if you're looking for some holiday listening goodness, um, Patreon's got you set, right? A couple dollars and there's a good... 30, 40 episodes in there, bonus content, plus the rest of our top 100. Yeah, so if you happen to be sitting at a particular table with some family members that you would love to tune out and tune in your favorite family members, you know, us, then you can go ahead and do that. Pop in an ear pod and listen to us. And again, we're going to be producing more and more content, obviously, over the break. We do not stop. We keep going and going and going. A little bit of the Energizer (laughs) Bunny there. Anthony, it was funny. I, I listened to ever so briefly because I didn't want to ruin my you know presentation of it. I almost thought that maybe in the future we could do a react 
kind of podcast. Like I'll listen to yours and I'll react to yours. And right. <laughs> I was like, and he's like, number 42. And he's like, oh my God, number 42. How could that be? Number like, but nobody was around to hear me just, you know, wail at your number 42. But nonetheless, it's up there on Patreon amongst many other great things out there. So again, thank you for all of your support from our Patreon backers and everybody else out there. Remember, you can always just jump on, listen to as much as you want to listen to on Patreon, and then, uh, you know, get a good holiday kind of boost over the holiday season. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with us on BoardGamers Anonymous on Patreon.com. What's going on with our listeners out there? What's our question of the week? All right, so uh, another hint towards what we're talking about today. (gasps) I mean... I don't know, like the hints are funny because it's in the title, but... Oh, um, come on, man. Spoilers <laughs> alert. We spoiled it with the title. Damn it, man. Uh, <laughs> we had it. We had a plan here. So I asked everybody, is there a fun hobby board game, so not something purely educational, that you feel helped you learn something important about yourself or the world? Mm-hmm. Um, I made sure to <laughs> equivocate there a little bit because there are a lot of educational board games out there that people play in school or just generally speaking, um, some of them can be quite good, but it is like a different animal, right? If you're playing a geography game versus a game that happens to be about geography. Uh, so we got a bunch of good answers here. Um, Andrew mentions Arcadia Quest. And this, this is a little bit of a sad one, but uh, also a little funny because I have kids and I find it funny. Um, I was playing with my then eight-year-old daughter who loved the chibi characters. I warned her that it's a player versus player element in the game. Her favorite Uh-oh. character was fighting a monster and I approached Uh-oh. the fight. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, you know where this is going. Uh, my daughter thought I was going to help her kill the monster and was excited and grateful, but instead I killed her character. <laughs> Andrew. Uh, the look of shock and pain in her eyes is something I will not forget. My daughter was devastated. That's when I realized that mean games are not for me. Wow, that that is a great revelation. I really, I honestly, I appreciate that greatly. The honesty and, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where games make you do a thing that you don't want to do, and then you're like, "Yep, I don't want to do that thing anymore." <laughs> I I had a whole unit in my class last year, um, the board game class. It it was just games that made you do things you didn't really want to do. Wow, that's great. Um, and the students would be like, "Do I have to do this?" I'm like, "It's the mechanic in the game." But that's the whole point. Then write about it. So it's it's cool to see other people have those revelations about. Mm-hmm. you know that, that they're familiar you know their parental relationships too yeah i think a lot of games do that i think it's it's surprising and i think we often talk about games as providing us interesting decisions at least that's mm-hmm. how i like to look at board games and what i find valuable in board games that it allows me to make decisions that i would never have to make in real life but usually you don't think about it like decisions you would never want to make in real life. It's just like, yeah, I don't want to do that thing. But yeah, I've played a bunch of those games where it's like, hey, do a thing. And you're like, uh, all right, I want to play the game and win the game. And then some other times I'm like, hey, wipe out the other player. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> just not. My favorite is the social deduction games because you get like half the class. Or, and this is really anybody, half of anybody's like, yeah, I get to lie to people. This is fun. And the other half is like, I'm profoundly uncomfortable right now. Um, yeah. And they're like, no, these are the rules of the game. You need to play it this way. And they're like, cool. I'm never playing this again. Uh, so. <laughs> yep. We talked uh, about those over the last couple of years, a lot more. There's, there's been a couple of those out there. Yeah. 
All right. So uh, moving on to the next ones here, we have Tommy who mentions, I learned I cannot cross the boundary of real life, everyday integrity into non-binding negotiations games. Well, here you go. Here's another example. Um, they go. just feel dirty and unethical. I know they're just games, but I cannot settle in on this style of play. So gotcha. yeah, the, yeah. the non-binding negotiation, it does feel gross sometimes. Some people love it and I, it's fine. It's a game, but like making a deal with somebody and then just stabbing them in the back. You're like, ah, gross. <laughs> I, I did that one time in a game it was nothing personal. It wasn't stabbing in the mm. back. It was like, I will give you this for that. And they were like, all right, I I'll take my money now. I'm like, nah, <laughs> just like, <laughs> nah, not going to do it. And they were just like bawling. They were just like, this was, it was like the most funniest, hilarious thing in the world. And I'm just like, I don't have to give you the money after I said it. What? Oh, all right. That's, that's a thing. <laughs> And they're like, cool. uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think there's a couple of games out there where you where you're kind of incentivized to light, cheat and steal. Yeah. Yeah. Which is it's fun. It's cool. It's just if you if you know that about yourself, that that's not for you, then avoid those games. Mm hmm. Uh, Eric mentions a little more traditional learning, uh, talks about learning about the historical figures in Lewis and Clark. Also. Lost Expedition inspired them to read a biography about explorer Percy Fawcett. So just the themes themselves kind of bringing out things you want to learn more about. Agreed. Um, agreed, agreed. Lucy yeah. mentioned specific board games have helped me understand certain historical events and trends better, like Twilight Struggle. Appreciate mm -hmm. the beauty of language, finding interesting words in Boggle or Scrabble. Uh, nice. In general, I would say that board card games have helped me realize that there are many different types of intelligence so that people Different people shine in different games, resulting in your old grandma or even a child beating you in a fair game. Yeah. So I mean, I think the one one of the many things that kind of just popped into my head, or just multiple times popped into my head, playing Euro games. Like I never thought that I would have the mind for that kind of ec economic, strategic, and tactical gameplay. And I'm like, no, I could do this. I could do this well. And that was just always surprising because my majors and my fields and my jobs had very little to do with business throughout the time, but somehow I have a mind for it and I didn't know, but board games told me that. Yeah. Same. Like I, I've, I have a writing degree. I have two writing degrees. I write. <laughs> I haven't done math since <laughs> I was 17. Um, but now I do it all the time in board games and I'm not too bad at it. Um, and then Tim, uh, our last response here, he says, I generally consider myself fairly patient at the game table. But a memorable game of Emotep at a convention taught me to not mm. play games that involve blocking or messing with other players when I am sleep deprived. So, <laughs> Tim's revelation is avoid any player confrontation when tired. So, yes. Yes. We, we, we did a 25 hour extra life play event. It is not recommended for playing no. board games. And people are a little on edge to say the least. And the last thing they want you to do is to block their stuff when they're trying to do a thing with the, the limited brain power they have at that particular moment in time. So yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think oftentimes when we talk about like having the right game group, typically that, you know, is connected to a party game because really a party game is only a party game based on the party that you're with. And if they really get into it, but I think it's more, apropos when it talks about a game where you are specifically pointedly you know messing with other people at the game table because 
you really have to be of good spirit to constantly be like knocked down throughout, you know, like a two hour game. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's certainly a thing. All right. So that's everything that our friends and listeners out there are talking about. Again, thank you. Hit us up on all of our social media. Obviously, Board Gamers Anonymous and Facebook and Twitter while it still exists. And, mm. you know, <laughs> we would love to hear from you out there. So drop us an email, Chris at BoardGamersAnonymous.com, Anthony at BoardGamersAnonymous.com. And again, happy holidays to every single one of you out there. We'll hit you up on our social media soon as the holidays kind of ramp up and pop off but until then thank you so much for you know some feedback all right anthony so that's everything that's happening when our friends out there let's talk about the games that we want to hit the table it is the holiday season my friend what is it that you hope to find under the tree near the menorah or in some other particular place space or time where you can actually get to the table all right uh so <laughs> mine's a bit of a cheat i already have this but <gasps> the reason Damn i picked it. it up i know the reason i picked it up though is because we asked our listeners a few weeks ago like underrated games or things that people should play more and this one was mentioned by three or four people and then it was on sale on amazon for like 40 <laughs> percent off and i was like well the the sky has spoken i must buy this game uh it's mosaic a story of civilization so whoa no way man right yeah oh no way <laughs> Uh, so this game was on Kickstarter last year, I think, and I didn't back it at the time because they had, you know, a big full plastic version, of course, that was $150 plus $40 in shipping. And I'm like, nope, I'm not doing $200 games full of plastic anymore. <laughs> uh, so I didn't even look at it. I didn't read anything about it. I don't even think we did acquisition disorder about it back then. And then it came out recently mm-hmm. um, and it to, to retail. Um, the cardboard version, right? And I've heard multiple people that I respect say, this is a good game. It's designed by Glenn Drover, who's made a lot of good games. Age of Empires, mm-hmm. Railways of the World, Raccoon Tycoon. Um, and it's a civilization building game, which I love when they work. Many of them don't, but when they work, they're very fun. Um, and so I was like, okay, that seems interesting. And then multiple of our listeners, and apologies to those of you who posted these things. I don't have your names in front of me, but you did talk me into this. Uh, had mentioned how much they love this game, and like the decision space is very interesting, and it's a good, solid civilization game that doesn't take six hours to play. Right? It's like a two to three hour game. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll put that on my list to keep an eye on. And then it was one of those Black Friday adjacent, Cyber Monday adjacent sales um, on Amazon. It was on sale for like forty something dollars. I think it's normally mm-hmm. eighty. And I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And it came in and I've, you know, got through the rule. I haven't played it yet, so this isn't a review or anything. Um, but going through the rules and like opening the box, and the box weighs like, I don't know, like 10 pounds. There's a lot in here. Um, it seems like a really interesting, engaging game. So I'm glad that others have talked me into trying this thing out. Uh, <laughs> it's an action queuing game. You have multiple different actions you can take to acquire these different components that you're going to use to build out your civilization. Um, so the goal here is you're trying to specialize a little bit in some of these different areas as you would in any civilization game. Um, and then try to score the most points based on the scoring cards that are revealed throughout the game. Uh, so it looks like it 
scales back from the 4x focus that so many civilization games try to do and goes more into the euro focus which i love because the 4x while i love 4x often makes for a very long game and if you mess up one of the x's the game is not as much fun um Civilization A New Dawn is one of my favorite Civilization games, and it's very much more of an abstracty-ish Euro than it is like a traditional 4X game. Um, uh, Nations, same thing, right? It's more like a card manipulation game and a tableau builder. So I'm, I'm excited to play it. I don't have not had a chance to play it yet. It's going to take a little bit of time to set up, and I ideally like to play this with other people before I play it solo um, because the recommendation is that the solo is not great. But... Uh, it's on my list now. I'm excited to play it and I'm, I have a feeling I'll like it. I, I can't say that I'm glad people talked me into it yet, but I'm sure it, it looks good. Um, and I'm not feeling the weird FOMO about the plastic pieces because they still like, I look at them and I'm like, I don't want that giant box and I don't want all that plastic. Uh, and like the component quality is nice. So I'm happy mm. with my box of cardboard. Yeah, this game was hotly contested on all the social media platforms out there because it had a good pedigree. It was a civilization game, which kind of allows you to feel more comfortable with, you know, the cost just because civilization games do have a lot of components, do have a lot of complexity. And that kind of makes sense. And then, as you mentioned, Anthony, all the plastic, which looks fantastic it's also expensive and the shipping was kind of crazy. So I think this one more than any other game in like recent memory was the one that like so many people were on the fence about, you know, just because Kickstarter and Kickstarter specifically, their shipping costs were becoming just astronomical and it was keeping very good games out of people's hands. And this was like, people were going back and forth on this. I looked at this I remember, like like you, Anthony, I looked this on on Kickstarter, and I was like, "Oh, cool, another gigantic, huge, uh, you know, Civ game." I love gigantic Civ games. I don't think I could back this again at this price level. And again, like we've talked about, I think the last episode, sometimes it feels like if you're not going to back it with all the bells and whistles, then it's not worth backing, just because you feel like you said the FOMO that you're just missing out on something, and you just really wanted to get like a great game to the table, and it's like it's an okay game, but somehow the table next to you has the better stuff for some particular reason. And again, it's really hard to know that in some cases. I mean, sometimes a Kickstarter kind of shows certain things, but they're always promoting the plastic so much because that's the thing that typically brings the eyes to the page that you don't know like how much of the plastic pieces or just the pieces in general, are you really manipulating that you feel like it's worth the investment? Because I can't tell you how many games I own where it's like these fantastic, wondrous pieces and you're like amazing. And like, they just stand there for the whole game and they don't do anything and you barely move them and, or you don't move them at all. And you're just like, why? And then other games, you're constantly moving pieces and they're constantly in play. And you're like, oh, of course I should have gotten that thing because it's really an integral part of the game and it's really dynamic, you know, how it interacts. So 4X games are the hardest to, to figure out because how much is military, how much are the buildings in play, how much is, you know, you just don't know until you get to the table. So I'm glad you backed this because now I get to play it. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's funny because like I look at all that stuff and I'm like, man, that looks cool. But I still wouldn't 
want to pay for it. Like it was on Kickstarter recently hmm. with the expansion. They reposted it and you could buy the Colossus edition and they would ship it to you immediately because they have it in stock. And I was still like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> it's too much stuff. <laughs> um, the one thing I might try to track down is they had an upgrade kit with just like some metal coins and wood pieces for the resources. Mm. I might try to get that because it's like $30. Gotcha. Um, if I like the game. But yeah, I, I don't know if I've reached that point. Maybe just personally where I'm like, I don't want all that extra plastic or if this particular game flipped sure. the switch. I think it's a little bit of both. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to play it. Yeah, I think last week I talked about my acquisition disorder, Empire's End, which was, you know, basically, a, you know, a line of cards and then you get resources and you could buy the upgrade pack, which is like wooden resources. But when you get the resources, you just put them behind a shield and they sit there until you take them, you know, away from the shield. So right. like, <laughs> OK, maybe I don't maybe I don't need that. Maybe, you know, the holding that wood instead of the cardboard for half a second isn't as valuable, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't like look, so many different games out there are valuable for so many different reasons. And there are so many different, you know, levels of success. And I think like, for example, like a trick taking game can be a great trick taking game. And there's there's such a great pedigree throughout history, you know, teach you and so many other hearts and spades and things like that. But I think they like they plateau at a certain point. I think Civ games are the games that have like for lack of a better term, like the highest, longest, you know, victory point track or tech track that you could possibly imagine because there's so much you can do with them. And it's, it has, so, it has such a high ceiling to be amazing. It can be amazing. It could possibly be the best thing. Whereas trick-taking game is always going to be a good solid game, but it's always going to be like low level trick-taking game. So right. um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm hoping that this is fantastic. All right, so I went a little bit on the opposite, and I just posted this a couple of minutes before we came on the podcast because I want to surprise Anthony a little bit because this has got to be the most anti-me game that's ever been created <laughs> in board gaming history. Yep. And I was like, in in like an alternate Bizarro universe, Bizarro Chris would be like, I am so excited, and I've already backed this game. <laughs> but... I was like, hey, this is, you know, the holiday season where we're supposed to be even better than we normally are. So I'm going to be even better than I normally am and talk about Arabella, an 18 double X rolling right game that's currently on GameFound. It, are, you, 18... <laughs> are you trolling? Is this a troll? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it's not. It's not. A, no, it's not a troll. It's it's a little it's a troll against me, if nothing else. Okay. I, I've. I, Look, I've talked about a couple of things. I've never played an 18 double X game. I don't necessarily have any intention to. It seems, again, forgive to all my 18 double X fans out there and friends. It, it, it just, it never in my life has been appealing to me in any way, shape, or form. Just the look of the game, um, certain mechanics of the game, the constant calculations of the game, just never really been my thing. But I have always had a hope that I would find an 18 double X that I would be like, you know what? I will play that. I will invest 
I don't know. What is what is an eight, normal eighteen double X? Two to three days to play. Is is that the normal time? Uh, that's sure, sure, yeah. Or maybe that's how, maybe that's the field time. Maybe that's a field. I think it's what what is it four to six something like that. I don't know. So <laughs> now on the opposite side of this is roll and write games. Now roll and write games. I've played a number of them, a large number of them. It it often hits on the game night, the game tables. People have roll and write games. Usually as fillers to get to the table. I guess without mentioning Twilight Inscription, which is now a you know, feature length, you know, roll and write game, which nobody asked for, but nonetheless, it's here. And I hear it's good. So I'm, I'm glad. I don't know. I'd rather play 12 here and four. So this is an 18 double X. That's a roll and write. Now the roll and write side, I've always felt weird about because roll and writes have always felt like less than a game. Like this feels like a roll and write feels like something I would have played as a kid like in grammar school or high school, because all I had was a piece of paper and a pencil. And now I'm paying money for it and getting to the table where we're arguing over buying like ridiculous plastic pieces. So it seems like the opposite these days of purchasing a board game. So the idea that there would be an 18 double X again, known for its endless calculations and length coupled with a roll and write, which is supposedly very quick and simple and nothing of a game just to fill some time and you would put those two things together and somehow put it on a crowdfunding site, which means typically you're paying a little bit more than you would pay, you know, retail in some cases. It was just amazing. And then there is the general promotion of it, which I, I, I got to believe is not included, but they must have felt somewhat similarly to me, which is this is like a dry mechanic on top of a dry mechanic. And they were like, you know what? Kittens. Let's yeah. put kittens in the game. <laughs> now, again, if you've listened to any length of the podcast, I love animals. I'm the biggest animal lover. Don't eat them. I'm all cool about that. But just allergic as all get out to cats. Like, deadly, deadly allergic. So the fact that this marketing campaign page has kittens as part of its promotion is hilarious. I don't think they come in the box. Thankfully, hopefully. They don't come in the box, but it's a really, I looked at it and I was like, oh, cool. It's all the three things that I, that I never want to see anywhere near a board game. So, and I think Anthony has one of the the, the famous polyominoes. I guess polyominoes are, are missing from this. Maybe that would be the trifecta if there was polyominoes in this game. You know, Anthony's little cat island game where it's weirdly yeah. shaped cats. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why that's a thing. So also. You're rolling right for that. Oh I no, that. please. No. <laughs> Now, Annabella is a real game, according to GameFound. It's an 18 X roll and write game. It's one to four players set in Estonia. The goal is to collect the most victory points, and it's similar to all the 18 X train games where it's about shares, it's about dividends, and in this case, it's about drawing tracks. So, again, not unlike any other 18 X, you've seen all of these things before. Um, what's a little bit different because it's a roll and write and because it's trying to mimic some of the mechanics of 18 double X is you're unlocking dice and you're utilizing dice modifiers on your sheet in order to complete personal objectives that allows you to obtain victory, so to speak. So you get your normal game board, but this time you have dice that are representing what you're able to do. There's train cards. Of course there are track building tiles. This is one of those things where I guess it is the most dynamic part of an 18 double X game where you're actually able to build out the map. There are shares in the game that are related to the dice that are in play. 
And then you have 52 shaded game pages that are actually the map here that you're able to build the tracks along the lines. And then, of course, you're competing against other companies for the most victory points possible. So collect income, buy shares, build tracks, build trains, run the trains, get the dividends. Remember, you don't necessarily own anything. It's all about the shares in the game. It's a true 18 double X game. So this is currently on GameFound. So if you love 18 double X, if you love Roll and Write, if you like to look at pictures of little cute kittens, uh, Arabella is currently up and it's about about time of the recording, about 21 days left. Yeah, so the... <laughs> now talk about the things that actually are, are realistic in relation to the gameplay, Anthony. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is a tough one, though, because um, if, if you've followed any of the 18xx Kickstarter campaigns... Or and I haven't. Right? <laughs> they, they tend to do pretty well, because there's a very dedicated and devoted relatively small but devoted community of 18xx players who buy almost all the games right? some of which are my good friends yes yes, yes. me too um, uh-huh. and i own several i stopped backing them because somewhere in my brain i was like this is not logical these are long <laughs> you're not going to play all these so i don't back anymore but um but usually they do okay i've never seen one like struggle to get funded necessarily mm-hmm. unless it's a really poorly run campaign um this one doesn't seem to have that backing yet. Mm-hmm. It's been up for almost a week already and it's not funded yet. Uh, and I think there's a few reasons for that. One, it's a roll and write, <laughs> right? Uh, I I mean, you're filling in a map. There are some train games where you fill in maps and fill in routes, but they're not 18xx games. They're just train games. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more like cube rail games, which are a little simpler. Two, the graphic design is very much in the 18xx wheelhouse where it's pretty bland and flat. Um, More modern games in that field have been a little prettier, a little more accessible. So this feels like a a step back in that regard. Um, Three, there's no gameplay videos. So it's hard to know for sure. I mean, there's a gameplay, there's a playthrough that they've put up. Mm -hmm. Um, But like other people haven't, had a chance to get their hands on it. They do give you the rules though. So it's not like it's completely unknown. Um, And like anytime anybody says you can play anything 18 XX ish in an hour or less, it's, it's really hard to like, are you sure? (laughs) Cause that usually doesn't work. Um, So I think there's just a lot of skepticism that the game works Mm -hmm. Uh, and the publisher themselves, they have a lot of games published, but none of them have been breakout hits. Most of them are low to middle rated on bgg so i would argue with several of the things you said on the merits alone but for this particular game i'm also in a wait and see mode because it seems it seems like it could be good or it could be bad there's no way to know there's not enough information i love the idea of it i just i find it hard i don't know how that's gonna work Hmm. right 18xx relies pretty heavily on there being multiple players to mess with each other so a one to four player roll and write. I'm like, well, how is that going to work? Mm. Um, we'll see, but it's a cool idea. The cat is super arbitrary though. You are right. That is <laughs> pure marketing. Like let's put a cat on the cover. <laughs> yeah. I think they needed to do, as you said, Anthony, I think they recognize the, I don't know. I want to be, I want to be kind here. Like the sparse presentation of an 18 double X map, which is just a lot of hexes. Yeah. And simple lines that are, are drawn with, with, you know, throughout. And again, that's not a problem that that's the core gameplay that it needs to be clean and simple and streamlined because the, the real mental 
gymnastics come from calculating dividends and all other kind of fun stuff. So yeah, no, it's something to check out. It's on GameFound. GameFound is also a little bit of a, I don't know, hidden, I don't know, I don't want to say necessarily gem, but like a hidden way station for a lot of, you know, crowdfunding platforms out there. So uh, check it out along with other games out there and see if it's something you like. And if you want to back it, you still have a little bit of time. All right. So that's everything that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about the games that we did get to the table. And we'll let people know if those games are a buy and they should run out during the holiday season and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down with the family and friends and get those down. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them like a snowball or if those games are the dreaded burn, it's a holiday season. Let's make it a Yule log. So what do you have for us this week, Anthony? <laughs> yes, it'll be a festive burn. Yes. Uh, so the the game that I play, this is a review copy we got from Pandasaurus Games um, called Wild Style. It is a, bear with me, real-time abstract t- set collection game. I think that covers everything. Um, <laughs> it, it just brings up more questions for me, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the theme of this game is you're a graffiti artist. You're trying to tag different things in the city, right? Uh, so like stylistically, you know, the cover is like graffiti style art. And then the, the boards themselves are, are very colorful. Um, but the things you're actually doing here is you have this pile of tokens. There's three rounds in the game. You have a pile of tokens. You use six of them per round or up to six per round, and you're going to place them on different hexes on the map. Um, the map will be one map tile per person playing. So if you play with two people, you have two tiles. You can play up to five people, you have five tiles. And there are different objective tiles that come out as well. So these are like different things you can complete during the game that will score you points. And then you will score points for every hex that you place something down on. Some are worth more, like a police station. If you tag a police station, it's worth four points. If you tag a park, it's only worth one point, right? Because it's easier, I guess. Um, so the game itself, like I said, it's real time, which I didn't know going into it. I guess set it up, got the kids ready, and we're like, oh, this is a real time game. Okay, slow down, back up. We got to start from scratch because that's a different type of game that you know they had not played before. Um, thankfully, it's relatively simple, mechanically speaking. So you have these two multiple stacks of cards around the table, depending on the number of players. And you have a hand of three, and then you have two piles in front of you where you can build your sets. And so on your turn, you can take one of five actions. You can draw a new card. If you have space in your hand, you can add to a set. So you can take a card from your hand and place it into one of the two sets that you have. You can take a card out of your hand that you don't want and put it into a share pile around the table. Um, You can complete a set, get all three cards matching of the same icon, so shopping or residential or park or whatever, and then you place a tag onto a hex on the board matching that set. So if I get three shopping center cards, I've completed that set, I set them aside, I take a token or a tag, and I place it on a shopping center somewhere on the map. It can be anywhere. Um, Usually, you'd probably want to put it adjacent to your own stuff, but you don't have to. Uh, And then finally, you can rush a set. So if you have only one or two cards in your set, you can take a cop car token to complete it early. And the only reason you would really want to do that is if, A, you don't really want that set anymore because your strategy has changed. Maybe someone blocked you. Or, two, if you really need that space open up, 
right? It's like, oh my gosh, there's a bunch of cards out here that I really want right now. I need this space to clear so I can start a new set. I'll take the cop car. I'll rush the set. And so mechanically, it's very, very simple. If you played this turn-based, the game would be basically nothing. Um, So it's real time. (laughs) And so what it works is you have three rounds in the game and everybody can go simultaneously as quickly as they want to. The only really rule here within those five actions you can take is you have to do them one at a time. So you can never be touching two cards at once. So you can't be like reaching for one card and grabbing another at the same time, like to try to like speed it up. You have to take a card, place it down. Then you can move on and take another card and whatever, right? Um, I will say that with children, that is a difficult thing to police. So, you know, and the game doesn't claim that it's for children, but just saying, if you're playing this with younger people (laughs) or people who just like to flout the rules, it is a little harder to police and be like, listen, you're touching like three cards right now. You can't do that, right? You're trying to grab everything. That's cheating. Um, But it does go relatively quickly, right? Because each of these rounds is as quick as the quickest person playing, right? Um, The rounds end when all the draw draw piles run out, so everybody's used up all the cards, or if only one person has tags left of the six that you have. Um, Then you reset, you do it again, you reset, and you do it again. And at the end, every cop car you have left over, you have to remove one of the tags from the map. And then if any tag is like off by itself in a corner... Um, not connected to any other of yours, you have to remove that too. Uh, and then you score it up. And the box is 40 minutes, and I feel like you could play this in 20 or 30 pretty easily. Um, so it's interesting in how it kind of addresses this concept of like you're tagging things, right? It's like a race. You're trying to you're trying to get the most tags out there, but you're also trying to get to certain locations before your opponents can. And so you you move as quickly as you can, but at the same time, you're trying to like manage the set. You can't min-max the game, really, because if you slow down to think, people just take stuff, right? You have to be able to like go, just keep going. Um, so it's got like a Galaxy Trucker vibe in that way, but it doesn't have quite as many ways to make mistakes as Galaxy Trucker. It's an abstract game, right? You're trying to put your tags in a right combination to match different scoring objectives and to score the most points based on map placement while also blocking your opponents. Right. Um, and that part's really interesting. So making a real time abstract game based on set collection, I think is a really cool idea. It's not necessarily for me personally. I thought the game, like, again, it's fiddly because you have to keep track of what people are doing. I wouldn't necessarily play this, you know, played a couple different permutations with the family. So, and some people got it better than others, but I wouldn't necessarily play with younger people, even though the mechanics are very, very simple. Because, again, you have to like police it a little bit, um, as you do with any real-time game. And at the same time, anybody who thinks a little bit slower, again, like any real-time game, like if somebody likes to think and plan their moves, they're going to get really frustrated with the game. Because people will just come in and be like, and I took that spot because you took too long. Um, you know, Somebody could get like 15 actions in while somebody else only gets in five. And that's just the nature of the genre of the game. If you don't like that, don't play it. Um, So I'm going to give it a play because I think it's cool. I would definitely like to play it with like a group of people kind of all at the same speed. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to say level because it's not a strategic thing. It's more like speed of play and see like how that race pans out. Because you can race ahead and be like, I'm so much faster than everybody and still mess it up. Right. Because you're going too quickly and you're just putting stuff in random places and not like you need a little strategy there to, to make get your points um 
but yeah, it's it's fun. It's clever. I like that they kept the, the rules relatively simple. Like a lot of these real time games, there's too much layered on, and then it gives people a headache. It was easy to teach, and everybody kind of picked it up really quickly. Um, you know, visually, it's nice to look at. But what I will say is, you know, for me, it's a play for me and my family. If you like real time games, if you like the chaos of that, I think it's a good one. So it's worth checking out. If you do not like real time games, you, this isn't going to make you like them. I don't think so. That's wild style. Interesting. It really, it really matches, I guess, well with the theme. Yeah. That you're running out there and creating graffiti, but you have to do it as quickly as possible because it is legal and there are cops out there to get you. Mm-hmm. And the set collection mechanic for a real time game, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I've seen like real time dice rolling. Mm-hmm. I've seen real time flipping of counters, real time Euro, but not a real time set collection. I guess that's, I guess it, it works pretty well because it, it, you are able to collect similar, you know, sets without too much thought process. But as you said, I guess there is still some strategy as far as how you're linking everything up. Otherwise all the speed in the world is not going to help you. Right. Yeah. And the deck's pretty big and there is a breakdown of certain cards are rarer than others, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's really just like, and you don't play with all the cards in every round. So you remove some, so people, you can't even count the cards, right? Sure. You're like, I'm waiting for that train station to come out and maybe it never does. Right. So you gotcha. just need to go. The game really encourages you. It's built around just like, go, just keep going. Don't stop. Don't think, just go. <laughs> um, which Dual I thought things. was cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I love, I love to play this like with, with you and like other gamers because yeah. um, I like to see how that plays out. Because there are strategic elements you could put in, like you could think through. Yeah, um, it's not like Galaxy Trucker where it's completely random and then stuff gets blown up. Like once you place a tile down, it's down. You have that spot for the game. Oh, gotcha. Um, but anyways, it's good. Excellent, and it's good to see like a different type of theme and a different type of mechanic. So yeah, it's unique. I haven't seen a game like this before, which is funny too because Panasaurus, the next game I'm, I'm playing through right now for them is Skate Summer, uh-huh. which is a similar like very 90s aesthetic right they really leaned into the aesthetic visually for mm-hmm. that game um so it's it's a cool theme i'm seeing like different types of themes but also very visually engaging within that you know uh, community yeah i really i love the art style here it's it's a uh, they did a they did a great job of really punching up what would other be otherwise be just like a a very normal boring you know thin kind of abstract game all right, so I re- recently received a review copy from CGE of Starship Captains. Take command of your crew to become the best Starship Captain in the galaxy. And honestly, that's kind of more or less where the kind of fun space kind of theme kind of more or less runs its course. Uh, CGE is pretty much well known for their pretty heavy Euro games. Not splatter level heavy, but like, you know, traditional Euro gamer heavy level games. Starship Captains comes out. It's got a very interesting, cute, cartoony artwork of a Star Trek legally distinct IP kind of coupled with Space Pirates. And it's kind of the traditional throwback to the 80s Space Pirates where Space pirates somehow have a space hook on their hands because they're pirates? Huh? 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 I don't know. So 
Uh, Starship Captains is all about these missions, and you are one of these different one to four player captains out there that are trying to complete missions in order to save the galaxy. And those darn pirates get in the way each and every time. So the game itself, the artwork itself, lends itself to that lower deck Star Trek kind of cartoon wackiness. The game itself is very much deceiving. It's very much a straightforward, you know, abstract game with some, you know, artwork kind of placed on top. That's not necessarily bad. This designer here is uh, Peter Hofgard, and he did a very good job of implementing a game that is primarily utilizing your crew and on your by your crew, you have different levels of ensign. So you have an ensign that's going to allow you to move, one that's going to allow you to fight pirates, and one that's going to allow you to gain tech cards throughout the game. And they are little plastic figures on your little cardboard, legally distinct enterprise in which you will start with them in your, you know, your front deck. And then as they're played, basically what you're asked to do is pick up the figure, tap one of those three spots or a fourth spot, which is a maintenance spot that anyone could do, utilize. And you have to match the color of the plastic piece to the, the spot on the board. And then you place them in reserve. And then they they kind of fill up a queue that's going to ramp down at the end of the round. And then you'll have more of your crew available to you based upon in what order you played them. As you're utilizing your crew, you are moving from planet to planet. You're encountering little bad pirates, which again, by utilizing one of your yellow ensigns, you're able to knock them out just by playing them. You take some damage, but you're able to gain some sort of resource or special ability. And then you go down, you land your ship on the planet and you quote unquote, go down to complete the mission. Missions are fairly simple. They typically have two or three lines of color and those colors allow you an opportunity to score additional bonuses based upon assigning the proper color ensign to that particular line on that mission. If you don't have all of the proper colors or proper ensigns in that situation, you'll still get the card, which scores victory points. And that's the main way in which you're going to score victory points throughout the game. But if you do have the right color ensigns that match up with the right stripe, you'll be able to gain bonuses based upon that mission. Sometimes there's damages, sometimes there's bad things, but mostly they're good things. Throughout the game, it tries to, you know, know, put a little bit of humor, a little bit of sci-fi-ness in it, but primarily it is move. Go to a particular spot. Once you're there at the spot, pay the different workers that you have to pay to get in order to get the bonuses, take that mission completion, move to the next planet, so forth and so on. The game is fairly straightforward, streamlined. Uh, It's not a simple game necessarily, but it's certainly in the gateway kind of mechanic genre of board gaming. Um, There's nothing particularly heavy or complex to it. Basically, each and every turn, you're going to either activate one of your ensigns to utilize the special room or complete a mission. And that's pretty much it. You know, that's primarily the game. And at the end of the game, who was able able to gain the most victory points based upon the particular missions in the game and based upon special bonus tech cards at the end wins the game. There are some little, little other pieces in which you are able to 
upgrade your ensigns so that they can take a secondary action, including recruiting somebody from the queue back into play. There's some artifacts and equipment that you'll be able to pick up along the way that I'll be able to utilize for additional actions. And again, medals that you'll be able to pick up through a number of different means that will upgrade your crew or change their particular uh, ensign color so you'll be able to activate special spots and abilities. That's pretty much it. Starship Captains is a really fun gateway game. Uh, Can be played, I would say, almost for any level of the family because, again, you're just moving your ship one or two spots away to the next planet. You're getting to that mission. You're completing that mission. If you have the right color ensigns, you're getting bonuses and you move on to the next planet. So I was a little underwhelmed with the weight and the complexity of the game. I was certainly hoping that it was a little more complex. As I said, CGE is known for much more challenging games, I guess with the exception of Galaxy Trucker, which is kind of like throw everything in a board. But even I think that's more complex than this particular game. It was still a lot of fun to play. It's a very quick playing time. I would say probably a half hour per player, and you could knock this game out. Uh, Starship Captains is available from CGE, and it gets a play for me. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it. I wouldn't say that anything about this game, you know, yells to me, it's going to be lighter, right? <laughs> and maybe yeah. it's just, again, like preconceptions about CGE and what to expect from them. Um. Like they generally make heavier games. It's just like a weird year for them, right? Yeah. Their their other game that came out at the same time, which we haven't reviewed yet, but Deal with the Devil is like overly complex. Mm. And this one's like less complex than you're used to. And they usually they make stuff right in the middle of that. Yes. (laughs) This is just like outside of that ballpark. Yeah, I think the complications that are added on to Deal with the Devil and then the simplicity from starship captains is really the befuddling point for both of these games where it's just like both of those games are easily understood and easily to play but they're just like oh i thought i'd be doing more you know more this that or the other and it's like no it's just you have to set your expectations properly and i think if you have family members who probably have played general board games out there before Or you have kids that I would say, I think a kid could play this probably from, I don't know, six years old and up. Because again, like, yeah, that's light. Yeah, because again, you have your crew, which are color coded, and then you just pick up a crew member, you tap what you want to do on the board. It really doesn't do anything by tapping it, but you tap the matching color to the, you know, the space, you place them in the queue, and then you do the thing which is either moving, fighting a pirate, which again, the fighting the pirate is, is there a pirate near you? Yes. Okay, cool. You destroy it. You take one damage and you get the bonus. Cool. Hmm. Uh, Do you want a tech? The tech could be a little, you know, labor intensive as far as the language is concerned, but they're pretty straightforward. I guess a parent could explain it to them. But again, it's like you take a tech card, you put it in your row. Does it match up with anything? Great. If it doesn't, fine. But that's pretty much it. And then repairing is very simple because you take damage throughout the game, but the damage never threatens the ship. So no matter how much damage you take and you do have spots to take damage, you just build endless amounts of damage. The ship never blows up. It just keeps you from 
you know, accumulating cargo and pirates that you've destroyed. Mm. So there's no threat of loss. Uh, it's generally a friendly game. It is a competitive game, but like you're just trying to get to the right missions that you can complete based upon the colors. And if you don't, that's not the end of the world. And Anthony, it has one of these mechanics that I've seen before, and I'm sure you have too, where when a spot is completed, another spot somewhere else on the map opens up with another mission. And that is kind of telegraphed based upon the tokens on those boards because it tells you exactly like, hey, this one opened, now this one will open. So you can actually camp at one of the planets waiting for a mission to open up. So at no point are you really like threatened and no one could steal a mission from you. If you're at the planet with the mission, it's your mission. No one could just swoop in there and claim it. So you move or you complete a mission or you pass. That's pretty much it. It does have a solo game, which I also played. The solo game really doesn't offer much of anything. It's just helping you cycle some of the cards in and out. The one final thing that I will add is that at the back of the rule book, based on the score that you get, it gives you like a one or two line kind of like congratulations or like, hey, not a great game. So like if you score the least amount of points, it's like, hey, you stayed at home and nobody cared. Versus <laughs> like the highest point, which I think is 75 plus, which is like, you're the greatest captain ever and everyone loves you. And then everything is in between. It's not, it's not a story. Like you would say like, oh, and then you shift off and you married an alien or something. It's not that kind of complex. But it's nice that they thought to add it, not just for the single player, but for every player in in that kind of playground. So um, it does get a recommendation for me. I think that people will play this. I am so desperately wanting an expansion to make this game a little more complex. Uh, Like I said, the only problem with this really was, like I said, some of the expectations and also building the little ships that you move is weird because they're cardboard and like they're really hard to put together and they're cardboard, which makes them a little odd looking. The crew and the other pieces are plastic. So it's a little weird that that's there, but eh, it's not the end of the world nonetheless. So Starship Captains from CGE. All right. So that's all the games that hit our table this week. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about board game academics. Board game academics obviously grew out of Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast talking about the latest and greatest games hitting your table. Now, over the many years that we've done Board Gamers Anonymous, Anthony and I have obviously developed an eye, an ear, a cognitive process for board gaming as far as our reviews were concerned. Board Gamers Anonymous was, I think, primarily based on, from its inception, based on reviews. We wanted to help all of you get the best games to the table. That was very difficult early on because the market was flooded with games, a lot of them not so great. As time has gone on, the games have, I would say, gotten better, but they've also been less of them but also have become way more expensive. So (laughs) there's a little bit of a other challenge before it was a forest. Now it's a few trees and those trees are damn expensive to get to the table. So, (laughs) you know, as that time has gone on, we've thought critically about board games in a lot of different ways. And some of that has been sociological. uh, Some of that's been psychological and certainly 
a lot of it since my work historically, and I know your work now, Anthony, has been pedagogical, which is based on the study of education, has been about utilizing board gaming in different venues that traditionally has not had board gaming really have a real presence. And as my background and my experience and my education has been in higher education primarily, and also somewhat in K through 12 education, we've been taking a look at and been implementing practically board games in a lot of different venues. And it turns out that a lot of our friends out there as well, all of our friends and listeners listening to the podcast right now, and so many other people, especially academics, have been utilizing board gaming to get them into their classroom, to utilize them to help students in counseling situations, but also to allow students to connect to new communities, engage in different student affairs, understand and develop their own particular careers, and get a sense of who they are as people and who they are as people in a larger society. I think over the last couple of years, we've become very introspective about board games as far as like their impact on society. Obviously, it is not as big as policy that's going out there in the world, but every little bit helps. And we want our social and our, you know, just dynamic gameplay opportunities to be as rich and as powerful as possible. So as time has gone on, as we've developed these ideas and connected with people and industries and professionals and designers out there, Anthony and I have taken the next step and we have developed a brand new endeavor, which we are calling Board Game Academics. And in particular, Board Game Academics will focus on getting board games into higher education settings, your colleges and universities out there, as well as some K through 12 settings and bringing professionals out and from different fields to take a look at board gaming in a way that they've never looked at before. So we'll talk about some of how you and I, Anthony, have taken board gaming to the next level by implementing in different ways. But as time has go- goes on, and as you will see, we have found ways to bring other professionals to the table in ways that you may not have thought about before. And hopefully over the next weeks, months, and years, we can bring you a different dynamic, a different aspect of board gaming that might be incredibly valuable to you, your friends, your family, and in your professional life. So Anthony, board game academics, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, your perspective on it and some of the dynamics and things that we will find on the website. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great introduction there. Um, so our, our thought here, right, is is not necessarily moving on from Board Gamers Anonymous or... No way, re- man. We're still doing this. Yeah, no. We're- <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that isn't... That is until chat GPT artificial intelligence takes over and then right. we don't have to... Once we implemented that out, that folks, we're done. We're done. We're just letting the, we're just letting the AI do it. Hey, the AI is, AI is already replacing students in their papers, so why not? <laughs> Whew, that's a whole other thing. Enjoy um, the inter- human interaction while you can, folks. <laughs> going away. Uh, so, board game academics is meant to be, you know, supplemental, additional, and developmental beyond what we've done in the past because we'll keep doing that because we love doing it, right? This is meant to be, you know, our chance to look into scholarship and research on the role that tabletop board games play, you know, in education specifically, but just broadly speaking in society, right? Um, 
we've both utilized games in various capacities. I've mentioned, you know, the, the classes that I teach that use games as rhetorical objects. Um, we've bringing in other people who utilize games and creative and interesting in different ways within college and university settings. And so what we want to do here is across several different vectors, have a way for people to do research and get it published and discussed and, you know, um, shared out with the world about the role of board games and tabletop games in higher education. Um, bring people together more broadly speaking for, you know, events and conferences and discussions about these things to both, you know, discuss those, that research, but also play the games and share them in a broader sense. And we also want to help bring games into the colleges, right? Like we can do it personally at the colleges we work at, but that's, you know, on an individual basis, we want to help others who are interested in doing the same thing by giving them the tools and the resources they need to know how to integrate games into curriculum and to know when and where they're appropriate and what types of games fit to different subjects and, you know, uh, what college students at different levels can handle based on their existing experience with games. You know, there's all these different elements that we've, you know, come, come across and engaged with and dealt with in our careers that we want to help bring together along with, you know, kind of the, the editorial group that we're putting together. Um, through board game academics. So I guess that's my long-winded way of saying it's going to be a lot of different things. (laughs) But the goal here ultimately is to discuss and evaluate how games can be used uh, as rhetorical tools, as resources, as, you know, points of connection um, in higher education, and then bring people together to have those conversations. Sure. So, Anthony, you mentioned getting more board games out there. And that's typically our mantra, right? The reason we want people to utilize every podcast player and YouTube channel that they utilize to listen to us and thumbs up, subscribe, you know, all the stars possible is because we want to get more people to the table. And the more information you can get out there about how great board gaming is, as a social, academic, educational, personal, developmental. Like there's so many different things that you get from board games that our listeners talked about earlier, then that brings more people to the table. And that's inevitably what we all want to be able to do for so many reasons, including there's never enough people to get together for a good (laughs) game night. So on a selfish side, we want to get a lot more people. We want, you know, board gaming to happen everywhere. So every cafe every restaurant, every house, we want to see board games piled up to the ceiling. So this hopefully will help with getting more board gaming out there. So the more that it happens, the more people love it, the more people grow up with it, the more they promote it. I mean, again, more players, just more and more and more players at the table. Now, as you mentioned, you utilize board games as text. So utilizing board games instead of utilizing a book to allow students to explore different writing techniques, write about themselves, write about their experiences, develop their writing styles has been tremendously helpful. And you do teach that. So that's something that students can actually sign up for your classes and gain more about that. And a lot of other professors, you know, in some various formats have done similar things. Now for me, 
most of my work in higher education has been in career development. So my role in higher education has been to help students find purpose and meaning in life through their particular vocation. I don't ever, you know, tell a student what to do or say, here's all the money, go after that particular job. I try to help students identify their passion, their aptitude, and take a look at the market and see how all those three things combine so that they could be, you know, the best version of themselves, right? Because inevitably, with the way the world is working, things change radically. So professionally and career development-wise, you have to utilize the skills that you have best. And who you are is the most valuable, unique quantity more than anything else. There's always going to be someone better at you at this, that, and the other, but who you are, no one could ever be better than that. So if you can, and if board games can help you identify you in the world doing a particular thing, then you're going to find all the success and happiness that you could ever want. Problem is for most young people and not so young people, we're still not sure about that. We still have so many undiscovered quality and traits about who we are. So some of that I've done career testing, some of that I've done career counseling, but I've also found that board games, as I mentioned earlier, allow us to explore different aspects and skills and cognitive traits about who we are in a very simple, approachable format. So I mentioned I never took business classes before. And somehow I found my way into board games that had different business tactics and strategies at play and different economic structures, which I had to become comfortable with. But I would never do that in a business class. I would never take a job as you know a business manager. And yet board games allow that to become approachable to my students and, of course, to myself in a way in which I can really properly engage with the material I would never choose to do so otherwise and recognize that there is some element of that gameplay that really clicks with me. And that once I, you know, get a sense of that, I might want to take a look at other games or other experiences that might also utilize those same abstract concepts and see if it, you know, even clicks even more. So from a career development standpoint, from a vocational development standpoint, from a personal development standpoint, I have found that board games are, you know, wonderful in helping students explore themselves, other people and cultures, and other thoughts and techniques and philosophies and themes that they never would ever approach otherwise. So I've been utilizing it in my classroom environments and in my student affair environments to get students to think differently or open up new avenues, or like what I talked about earlier, to make interesting decisions. You'd be surprised as a young person how few interesting decisions you get to make. (laughs) So board games allow you to like, I don't know, fly a, a starship or helm a gigantic, you know, business empire. So again, you get to make interesting decisions and get to see yourself in different shoes. Now, Anthony and I have also invited several other people to join our editorial board, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that means, and in particular, the journal that follows along with that. But we have our friend Will, who's been on the podcast previously. He's a psychologist at a university, and he utilizes role-playing games to engage his clients in roles and in themes and in relationships with other people in ways they never had before. 
So maybe you want to understand who you are better, or maybe you want to have a dynamic in where you feel a little more comfortable with other people. Board gaming actually does that, whether it's a Euro game where you could just keep your head down because you're a hardcore introvert like me and just play out and have a good time with friends, or maybe you're more of the extrovert and you like to get into more dynamic side of it. Or maybe again, like a role-playing game, you could play a different gender or a different race or a different class or find yourself in a different scenario that you never thought you would and lead your little team to victory. So there's a lot of ways in which you can work out a lot of interpersonal and, I guess, sociologically dynamic situations out in a game. Now, that's not just the end. There's a lot of different other areas within higher education in which board gaming can be successful and helpful in order to help develop young minds and, again, not so young minds into new themes and new ideas. And also, board games are a reflection upon our reflection of who we are and who our society is at the time. We've talked about the last couple of years how board gaming kind of got really heavily steeped into colonialism. And that was kind of totally problematic because it was limiting a lot of people, you know, personally and historically, but also limiting a lot of people at the game table. I We talked about some making some interesting decisions that we talked a little bit earlier with our listeners about making decisions that we never wanted to make. So, for example, Endeavor endeavors you. Oh, my gosh. To, you know operate within the slave trade in order to gain victory points. And that feels immediately weird and problematic. (laughs) Not to mention the fact that while we don't ascribe to the fact that when you do or play a game that you start, you know, reflecting that action in your personal life, it's just that on some level, it seems like it's permissible. And somehow when it's sometimes things feel permissible and they're not good things, it tends to be a little problematic. So again, this this is not meant to be a social or historical critique of board games, but we also want to be mindful of board games and their larger impact on ourselves as persons and also our society. So yeah. 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 No, I think I think one of the most dangerous things we can say, and I know people out there say this, we've heard it from our listeners, is mm-hmm. it's just a game. It's meant yeah. to have fun. Nothing is just anything, right? It's a form of communication between an individual or a group of individuals and another individual or a group of individuals. Um, our actions are part of that communication. Our response is part of that communication. And so just to say, like, nobody should feel anything here because it's meant to be fun and this is all it's for undermines the value and importance of that communication. Um, and so be, being aware of that, of the power of communication in this multimodal interactive format and at the same time being conscientious of how that could impact somebody who maybe has a different experience than yourself. Um, it can have a profound impact, right? Like that, this is one of the ways I use them in my classroom and just show people like this game was not meant to be, it's not meant to make people uncomfortable, but consider what it's doing, consider how it's doing it and consider what it's asking you to do rhetorically speaking, what impact does that have? Um, And it creates a really interesting conversation. So it isn't just a game. It doesn't have to be just a game. There's more there to it. Um, And so again, like, like you're saying, Chris, it's not social or historical commentary. It's meant to just be 
a commentary on the form of the game itself as a tool of communication and rhetorical context and mm-hmm. just content um, to, to share with one another and how we each interact with that differently. Cause we all interact with it differently is part of the experience because we're also sharing it at the same time. It's unique in that way, right? We could all watch a movie separately and come away with something different from it because yes. we watch it in different contexts. We play a game together. We all played it in the exact same context, but we still walk away with something different. And that's that's what's fascinating. And I, I think from a podcast perspective, you and, a, you and I, Anthony, as we started this podcast, we wanted the discussion about the board game or the board games to continue. And that's why we have a podcast, right? So, and I think so much of life, and I talk to my students about this constantly, is we go through life so quickly, we don't even realize it. And as you mentioned about the movie kind of situation, right? You and a friend can go to a movie. You come out of a movie, you like it? Yeah. Oh, I liked it too. But you never really dive deep into why you liked it, right? Maybe I love the acting, but hated the music. You love the music, but hated the acting. But you never really get a chance to know yourself or know others because the conversation ends so quickly and you just move on to the next thing. So with Board Gamers Anonymous, we hope to continue the conversation about how fun board games are and what are the best choices to make for your dollars and your time. With Board Game Academics, we hope to go even deeper and take a look at board games and how they could be valuable on so many different fronts and just to open the conversation. It's not that a board game is right and wrong, but it's to open that conversation so you can understand more about yourself and the others around you. So board game academics is going to get its own website. So you already have boardgamersanonymous.com, one of the greatest. And I, I, I say that with all humility, one of the greatest board gamers websites out there if you're a board gamer and you're like i want to see board game things yeah go to bgg but then come to us because i don't think there's a second or a third best website out there when it comes to board gaming now boardgameacademics.com is going to be a whole separate site talking about board gaming from a, a, a i would say a deeper perspective so we're going to bring academics and people out there from the industry and you out there to join us to talk about board gaming in a more rich, fulfilling way. So Board Game Academics is going to have a lot of information, including all our new partners that are going to be talking about board gaming from fandom perspective, from theological perspective, sociological. I mean, we have all the great people and we're going to be adding more. And if you yourself, if you're listening and you would like to join us and have an interesting perspective on board gaming that you like to talk deeper about, Board Game Academics is for you. And if you just love board games and you're like, hey, what a bunch of nerds talking about board games, come to boardgameacademics.com because, again, it's more board gaming goodness. Now, to add to that board gaming goodness and to spread board gaming to more academics, people out there in higher education and some through K through 12 who may have not engaged with board gaming on any particular way, we are creating an online journal. So this online journal will take submissions and allow us to look at people's abstracts and papers, their introductions, their pitches about board gaming in different venues in higher education and some K through 12. And I guess out there in the world as well, 
And we will take a look at them. We will help them. We will correspond with them. We will collaborate with them. We will help edit them. And then we will eventually add them to our first online board game journal. So Anthony, tell us more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we are, as Chris said, we're, we're forming a, a board game academic journal, um, which will be launching in 2023. Um, you will be able to find more information about it on our website, boardgameacademics.com, which is up right now, uh, but will be updated uh, around the first of the year with more information about submissions. Uh, we will be opening up for submissions in the middle of January. So um, you can take a look there and, you know, whether you are uh, an academic doing research that you think would be a good fit, or you're just interested in learning more about it or being there when the materials go up so you can read it, mm-hmm. um, you know, bookmark the site, keep an eye on it. The first uh, edition of the journal will come out sometime in mid 2023. So we'll have more information on that along with, you know, release dates and um, the information on submission deadlines and all that good stuff in the future. But for now, Head to the website, check it out. Know that submissions do open in mid-January. There is a link on the website you can sign up to receive updates. Um, so you'll get an email when those submissions are open. And uh, you can also just you know shoot us a question if you have one. Absolutely. So for all of you out there who are publishers, are we hope that these multi- multiple modal different endeavors will help get more board gaming into classrooms and into different types of settings within higher education in K-12. And we hope to help you facilitate that. For designers out there, we would love to hear about your design process. Maybe it's something you want to share with students and with higher education institutions. Many of you are probably already in higher ed, and we would love to share your thoughts and ideas with, with your communities. And for all the fans, listeners, and gamers out there, we would love for you to join us in that conversation. Um, Submit to the journal. Share the website to everybody, anyone you know. Like, hey, look, remember that board gaming thing that I was really into? Turns out it is like hardcore next-level stuff. It's not just for kids anymore. Take a look at Board Game Academics and see all the, the scholarly work that's happening about the hobby that I love. And again, once the journal's up and out there, and once we have all those people out there, we're looking forward in 2023 to be able to have conferences that are utilizing all of the wonderful people who submitted to the journal and others to talk about board gaming on the next level. And, you know, when it comes to board gamers, we're all about next level stuff. So you will see as time goes on when that conference or conferences will take place. And be invited as well, because we would love for you to join us at the table and in particular at the conference. So until then, take a look at BoardGameAcademics.com for more information. We'll be touching on it as we go on and bringing you some updates. But the website itself is going to be the best place to get started. And we would love to have your support in any way that you feel comfortable as far as joining us, supporting us, communicating with others about us. It would mean a lot to us. All right, Anthony. So that's everything from this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care.